but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. But let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. All right, Nate, you can come on up. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Lord God, we are sinful people. You've saved us, God, from our sin. I thank you for that. Um, but we know ourselves. We know our hearts. And so uh, as, as Nate preaches, I know that he, he needs this message just as much as we do. And um, I just ask that you would allow him to just have the strength of your spirit to guide him, that you would speak through him and that we would all be more aware of our need for the gospel. We would all be more aware of our need for you, and uh, just to repent and turn to you and run to you as our Father. And so, Lord, just bless this time. Uh, Holy Spirit, guide us as we uh, receive your word and soften our hearts. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be here again. Uh, my name is Nate Gutwine, and I am uh, an intern with Karis Church. Uh, with that, I really have two major responsibilities. Um, I lead up our youth ministry in Columbia, and I am uh, the executive pastor's assistant, so I'm Rob Gaskin's assistant. For those of you that know Kevin Larson, our lead pastor, I served as his assistant uh, for a year. Um, I am the brother of Brent Gutwine, uh, Harmony Zajcik, formerly Harmony Gutwine, uh, is my sister. Uh, Josh Zajcik is my brother-in-law, and Jackson Zajcik is my nephew. So if you're wondering how it's possible for a kid to be that cute, I'm kidding. No, I love them. Uh, I'm really glad to be here uh, to be able to worship uh, with all you guys, with Jeff City. Um, I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity. I'll admit I am a little terrified. Uh, I've preached a number of times uh, and been given the opportunity, even over spring break to preach in Brazil. I went down with uh, Cars Church to um, serve with an organization known as Restore Brazil uh, for a week, and uh, I was given the opportunity to preach at a local church down there in Rio. Uh, but I've never done this on a Sunday morning, so that, that's a whole new beast, uh, but I ask that you bear with me. However, this is the word of God that I'm preaching from. These are not just my thoughts, and I, I may say some, some hard things, but Again, the, the Bible says it, um, and Scripture has authority. It is the Word of God. That, and that's, that's what I'm preaching. Um, and so that's my prayer for the next 90 minutes. I'm kidding. I'm not preaching that long. Um, but seriously, I pray that, uh, that God would just be here, that he would uh, speak to you, to wherever you're at today. Um, so I actually want to take a moment to pray again, um, to come before God. God, you're so good, and um, you're gracious to us. I, wanna, I pray this morning that... Um, that you would speak to us, that you would be with us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to, to listen to you, um, to what you have to say. Um, God be with us um, that come here discouraged. I pray that you would uh, encourage us, be with us, that come here without hope or feeling hopeless, um, that your hope would be made known. Um, be with us that, that come here with pride. Um, God, may you humble us. 
Uh, God, help us to, to see how great you are. That This isn't about me or what I say. This isn't about how good I do, how bad I do. Uh, this is about you. Uh, so God, help us just to see your love for us. Uh, help us to understand who we are in you. Uh, God, may you be praised. May you be glorified. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so how many of you can remember a time, you don't have to raise your hands, um, but remember a time when you said, that was a life-changing experience, or it changed my life forever. Maybe you said just, that changed me. Um, you don't, again, we've all, we've all had these experiences. Um, it's something that even for, for some of us, maybe we've said a number of times. Maybe we said a number of times that changed my life. Uh, maybe it was a missions trip. Maybe it was meeting someone, getting married, having a child. Maybe it was your first whatever. Maybe it was a death, a sickness, some good experience, some bad experience, whatever. But, but we've all had these experiences. Uh, I remember the first time I had Chick-fil-A. That changed my life. Um, you guys, I'm sure, remember when Chick-fil-A opened in Jeff City just a few years ago. And I was, I was really excited that Chick-fil-A was finally 30 minutes from me. Uh, but really, I was also jealous that you guys got one first uh, before we got one in Columbia. Eventually, we did get one in Columbia. Uh, we got it just a little over a year ago. And I, I was so, so excited that I decided to camp out um, with some guys from Chorus to earn free Chick-fil-A. They give out free Chick-fil-A coupons um, for a year to everyone who to camps out. It's not everyone, just the first 100. Um, and I think I was like number seven in line. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I was pretty close to the front. I was so excited. Um, and that, that experience very much changed me. Not only did I have those memories that I now have, uh, but I could eat at Chick-fil-A for 52 times and not have to pay anything. Um, that's something that changed a lot. It affected my budget, where I went to eat, probably my weight, how healthy I was. But I wasn't going to McDonald's. I wasn't going to Wendy's. I wasn't going to Taco Bell or Dairy Queen. I had the ability to get better food and free food, uh, and better food is always, um, or free food is always better food. Uh, my point here is that this, this affected my life and how I lived. If we look at today's passage, that's Paul's point. And maybe some of you are like, um, it seems like he's just saying don't do ABC or DEF, and you're right, but I want to look at this in context. Last week in verses 1 to 2, we saw that we're beloved children who are to walk in love and imitate God. The only reason we're children in the first place is because Christ gave himself up. So we saw last week that you are loved. And this is what Paul does. It's great. He anticipates that there's these people that are going to hear, okay, I'm loved, so now I can just do whatever I want. God's grace. He loves me. No, Paul very plainly says, don't do this. He says in Romans 6, Verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? So that's why we start with a but in verse 3. But sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Yes, you are loved, but you are changed. So hear this. You have been changed, so don't live unchanged. You have been changed. Don't live unchanged. If you're taking note, notes, point number one, since you've been changed, don't participate in immorality and idolatry. That's verse three. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetous, must not even be named among you. 
Let's talk about that. Sexual immorality. The Greek word here is porneia. This is where we get the word pornography from, meaning fornication, sexual intercourse among people not married. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, porneia, we see that again, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Don't sleep around. Sex is for those that are in the covenanted bond of marriage. Well, maybe you're saying, well, we're, we're going to get married. Don't do it. We're, we're living together and we're, we're basically married in, in God's eyes. No. You're not. Paul says, don't do it. We see uh, next, he keeps going. Okay, impurity. What's he saying here? Let's jump to Romans and, and see again where Paul uses this word. In Romans 1, 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. So there's that word. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. We jump down to verse 26. What is it? For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. Don't engage in homosexuality. It's wrong. Don't do it. Okay. Covetousness. Several other Bible translations use greed here. It's the longing or craving for something in an unhealthy way. For all the singles, don't be unsatisfied in your single state. It's okay to want to be married. That's a good and it's a natural desire. But if it's consuming you to the point that it's hard for you to find joy in the now, then you're coveting, and that's wrong. Don't desire it so much. Men, don't crave someone else's body for selfish gratification. Don't go to that website. Don't watch those movies. And some of you are like, okay, I don't do that. Okay, but are you doing it on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Google? What about the movies you do watch, the TV shows you do watch? The commercials you watch. Where does your mind go? Don't be covetous. Don't look down her shirt. Don't look at her backside. Don't go there in your mind. Don't play out a scenario in your head. Don't even let it be named among you. Josh mentioned that today is Freedom Sunday, a day in which we acknowledge that, that slavery still exists, that sex trafficking still exists, that prostitution exists and it's real we live in, in a sex crazed world if, you, if you're looking at, at porn I want you to hear this link between porn and prostitution a, a little backstory: as a staff member at Chorus we all have a software to help hold each of us accountable specifically in regards to sexual purity where we go the websites we look at it's called Covenant Eyes, and they say this about porn. Women who are acting are engaging in the act of paid sex for the pleasure of others, which is the very motive of prostitution. Though in some sense, porn is worse. You are not just using the woman one time for your selfish pleasure. You are now exploiting her image again and again for your pleasure. Men, they're human beings. They're not objects to look at for your selfish enjoyment, not objects to crave. Women, 
You don't get a pass. You too are not to be covetous. Don't wish your husband was more like Susie's husband. Don't imagine yourself with someone else. Stop comparing. All you're doing is stealing and robbing yourself of joy. I, I wish she was more handy. I wish she didn't like sports. I wish she was more talkative. I wish she was like this. I wish she was like that. Whatever. The moment you start wishing and wanting in your minds, and that's when your spouse isn't good enough. And that's not a good place to be. We have to be careful where we let our minds go. Paul sums these sins up in verse 5 as idolatry. To replace the worship of God for the worship of something else, anything. We worship sex. Paul says, don't do it. Now you're, getting, you're, you're going in your seats and you're like, okay, I get it. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Yes, but that's not the whole verse. What does he say? As is proper among the saints, believers, you are a saint. That's literally a holy one. This is your identity. Yes, we're, we're given things to avoid, but this isn't avoid these things so you can be a saint. Rather, it's you are a saint. Now live in a manner fitting of that. Throughout the New Testament, this is what we see. Be who you are in Jesus. This is why we don't do this. This is why we don't do these things. Maybe, now maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I don't really feel like one. Maybe you're saying, I looked at porn this week. I lusted after a girl this morning. I'm not satisfied as a single. I struggle to feel my husband is good enough all the time. I'm fighting these sins right now. Hear this. Your identity is not a sinner. It's, your identity is not as a mess up. Your identity is not as a failure. Your identity is that you are a saint. Not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did for you. We see that in verse 2. He gave himself up. You've been chosen. You've been made new. You've been made to be holy. You've been given a new heart, a new identity. As someone that is now in Christ, you need not participate in immorality of any kind, in idolatry of any kind. In Christ, you no longer have to sin because you have Jesus, and he's far better. You're a saint, and saints want holiness. So run to that. Run to Jesus. Stop flirting with sin. Stop sinning. Don't let it flow out of you. Because what flows out of you is an indication of who you are. And that's not proper for you. When you're alone, when you're bored, when you walk by that really attractive person, when you what, see something in another man that isn't in your husband, where does your mind go? Paul says, don't be covetous. That's not you. So don't be that. Don't do that. You are a new creature with a new way of seeing the world. Paul doesn't just list don't do this, but reminds the people in Ephesus of who they are. He's reminding us of who we are. Ridding these things of your life is great, but if you just rid them because you read don't do it, then you miss the point. The point is that it isn't proper for you who are in Christ. The point is that in Christ you are now his because of what he did, because of how he loved you, that it's not proper for you to live in this way, so stop. We're not to be obedient for obedience' sake, but because of who we are. Martin Luther says this, Although I am an unworthy and condemned man, 
my God has given me in Christ all the riches of righteousness and salvation without any merit on my part, out of pure, free mercy, so that from now on I need nothing except faith which believes that this is true. Why should I not therefore freely, joyfully, with all my heart and with an eager will to do all things which I know are pleasing and acceptable to such a Father who has overwhelmed me with his inestimable riches. In other words, you are new. You who are in Christ, you who are saints, the covetous thought, the greedy attitude, the participation in these sins, it doesn't make sense because of who you are. So don't even be asking how close you can get to the line, telling yourself you still have a little wiggle room. Well, I'll just look quick. I won't dwell on it long. Listen, in Christ there is joy and satisfaction that far surpasses anything of this world. So in asking where is the line, your mind's in the wrong place. You're asking the wrong question. You're not thinking like a saint. We should be striving for holiness, running so far from the line and to Jesus towards holiness, that these sins are not named among you. So we keep reading. Paul takes another step further in verse 4. Not only don't do these things in verse 3, don't even talk about it. This is point number 2. Since you've been changed, don't use your mouth for evil. Paul continues to lay the hammer down and says, don't do this. He lists some more things here having to do with our tongues. How we use our mouths, no filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Filthiness. Don't, Don't abuse God's creation by being filthy with it in your language. Foolish talk. Which which isn't really a a mental deficiency, like, oh, he he doesn't know what he's talking about. But instead, I think this is more of a, a moral deficiency that Paul is referring to here when he uses foolish talk. Crude joking, I believe, is to make light or funny of what isn't meant to be made light of. So I think there, there's, there's two different camps here. F- the first one is, watch your mouth and how you talk negatively about anything. Are you always mocking or putting people down? Are you constantly complaining? Do you belittle people with your words? Are you talking about people behind their back? Are you airing out their dirty laundry? Paul says it has no place. And I think we're able to see these things as wrong. But then there's this second camp, and I think this is something we need to be made more aware of. That's crude joking. It's foolish. Well, it's funny, and it makes us laugh. Should it? Racial jokes, fat jokes, sexual jokes. Paul says, stop. Here's something that I I think is helpful. If If you take a glass and you fill it to the brim with whatever, we'll say water, and you bump it, you knock it, water falls out. Why? Because that's, that's what was in the glass. So here's my question. When you get bumped, when you get knocked, when someone hits you, what comes out? Are you cursing? Are you making light of something? Are you saying, that's what she said? See, I think our jokes really do a disservice to how great and how glorious and how awesome God is and how great and how glorious and how awesome His creation is. We joke about one another. Are you tearing each other down? I was just kidding, bro. Just messing around. It's all good. No, it's foolish. We joke about sex. (laughs) Sex is so beautiful. It's so sacred. It's not a joke. Just stop joking about it. 
Stop using your mouth for evil. It's out of place. How many of you have been to, I think we've probably all been to a store. We'll say Walmart. You're in the uh, electronic section. You're looking for DVDs, phone chargers, phone cases, TVs, computers, iPads, whatever. And so you're in this section and there's like this random bottle of shampoo or a bouncy ball. We've all seen that, right? We're in the grocery store and there's just something, this one object that's out of place. Maybe you're the person that's grabbing stuff and putting it where it doesn't belong. I don't know. But, but we've all seen that, right? That bouncy ball, that, that shampoo bottle, it has no place in the electronic section. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. It has no place among saints, among believers, among Christians. Paul says, but rather let there be, what? Thanksgiving. Why does he say this? Because this is what should come out of the believer. When your cup gets bumped, when you get knocked, this is what should come out of you. When you're thankful, you aren't thinking about what you don't have. You're not thinking filthy or or foolish things. The thankful person is praising God for who he is and what he has done in your life. The thankful person isn't covetous. In fact, they're thankful they aren't married. They're thankful their spouse is exactly the way they are. Thankful for everything they have in Jesus. John Piper says this, Covetousness is what drives the pursuit of unclean behavior. It is the craving that ought to be conquered by a new and more powerful affection. This new affection is for Jesus. How great he is. He is to be praised. You are to be thankful. So so this is what? What comes out of your mouth? Not evil things, but thankfulness. Let's take a look at why. Again, go back to verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us. And hear these words. Gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You are loved. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That Christ came down. He lived a perfect life. He abstained from sexual immorality, from all impurity, from all covetousness. It was not named among him. There was no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. Not once did Christ fall into sin. He went to the cross and he died paying the penalty for you and for me. Before he died, he was praying in the garden and he was literally sweating blood. The Bible says this, Luke twenty-two forty-four. 44. This wasn't because he was going to be whipped. It wasn't because he was going to have a crown of thorns. It wasn't because He was going to be humiliated or spit on or laughed at. Yes, the cross was excruciatingly painful, but hundreds and hundreds of men were crucified and have been crucified since Christ's death. The difference is that Christ on the cross had the wrath of God poured out on him. And Christ drank it all. The cup is dry. God's wrath poured out. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so that you, me, men and women, sinners, we don't have to have God's wrath poured out on us. Thank, thank you, God. I think some of us aren't thankful because we don't understand what we've been saved from. We don't understand that wrath is coming. It's verse 6. We don't understand how good God is. Paul is warning People hear that wrath is coming. Some of us don't understand that. Or maybe we just 
pretend like it's not real. God loved us. He loves us. It's going to be okay. My, my good will maybe outweigh my bad. The wrath of God is coming, and don't believe the lie that tells you otherwise. Don't believe that on your own you're okay. Don't be deceived. It's my third point. Since you've been changed, don't be deceived. In my MC, one night we were going around and we were, we were telling each other uh, our middle names. And I thought it would be funny. My middle name is Charles. I thought it would be funny to tell everyone my middle name was Bartholomew. And uh, they believed it. I deceived them. Now they call me Bart, so I have to live with that. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's deception. That's not the truth. Looking at our text, don't think what Paul is saying here is not true. What does he say? Let's read verse 5. For you may be sure of this. Literally, that the exact opposite of being deceived. There will be no doubt. You will be sure that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Words with no meaning. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul didn't just threaten us with hell, did he? Yeah, he kind of did. See, we read in verse 1 and 2, we see that we're loved, but that does not mean that we can do whatever we want. In fact, if that's what you're thinking, if that's what you're, where your mind is going, something's wrong. Maybe, but maybe for some of you, you're just justifying your sins, not thinking too much about it. When faced with the question of, should I or shouldn't I, you just do it anyway, because it's funny. You don't give it much thought. You need to understand the weight of your sin. We need to understand the weight of our sin. He says in verse 6, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So who is that? Anyone not a child of God. Believers are sons of God, so the opposite would be sons of disobedience. Why, do, why does Paul do this? Why does he use hell? First, I want to say what he's not doing. Paul is not motivating you, motivating his readers, motivating us to obey so that we don't go to hell. Heaven is not a place for people that are scared of hell. This isn't, don't do these things and collect your get-out-of-hell get card. Because, let me tell you, everyone does these things. So in that case, we would all go to hell. That doesn't line up with the gospel. The gospel is that we are saved because of what Christ did. Here's what Paul is doing. It's sort of a motivation, but it's a motivation in this way. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. And that fear that he installs here, it gives the believer who is made new, gives the believers who have been made new, you have a renewed mind, extra incentive to be thankful for what you have because now you know the outcome of the life you sometimes covet. You are saints. You are heirs of the kingdom. You are sons of God. You don't have to live this way. 
You have something far greater in Jesus. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Some of you are still living this way, still living in these sins. Wrath is coming. Sin is punishable. And don't kid yourself that you're not that bad. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner, right? Well, yes. That was demonstrated in Jesus going to the cross. He had to for us. Here's why. Because God not only hates sin, God hates sinners. The Bible says that. Psalm 5.5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Well, I only look at porn sometimes. I only have a bad thought once in a while. I only very rarely say a dirty joke. I'm pretty good. I don't covet that much. I'm pretty content with what I have. I live a good life. Occasionally I'm rude. Occasionally I slip up. But at least I'm, I'm not a rapist. I'm not sleeping around. I live my quiet life and I'm a sinner, but I'm, I'm not that bad. Let's look at what God thinks of sin. If you look at Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, God obliterates these people, and then Lot and his wife are running away, and she turns around. She takes a glance. God said, don't do that. Pillar of salt. For one glance. You look at Numbers 15. An anonymous man is picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and they catch him. Say, God, 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 what do we do? Stone him. Picking up sticks. Well, that's the God of the Old Testament. What about the God of the New Testament? Ananias, Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. They're deceptive about their offering. Struck dead. Now you're like, well, that seems kind of extreme. It's not. You sin against an infinitely holy God, and you are infinitely guilty, and you deserve his wrath. From one sin came all the effects of sin that we see in the world. Storms, cancer, pain, sufferings, etc., etc. Wrath is coming. If you're unrepentant, if you're believing, God's grace will just cover you. That God's love will cover you. Paul says, don't be deceived. Do you understand the weight of your sin? The beauty in the gospel is that when you give your life to Jesus, God's wrath is satisfied. Don't think you can live the same. You are a new creation. You won't live the same. That's what Paul says. It's out of place. It doesn't even make sense. Matthew 7, 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them, even if it's just blueberries. Eric Danielson and Elder Carr said that. You will see a changed allegiance. The gospel is good news of our changed allegiance. That we live for him. So we are no longer about our wants, our needs, our desires. We are about what he wants. God, how, how can we please you? Some of you are, are living a lie. You're sons of disobedience. Some of you profess the lordship of Christ with your mouth, but you deny him indeed. Titus 1.16 
They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, grace covers all your sin, but only for those who trust in the finished work of Jesus. Judgment does not await you if you are in Christ. But an unrepentant life turned from God has no assurance of that reality. Now maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, I'm good. I said the prayer. I was, I was baptized. I go to church. Maybe you even go to an MC. Admit, believe, confess, and pray, right? What did Jesus say? You look at Luke 14, 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So let's jump down to verse 33. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what does Jesus say? Give up everything you have hate your mom and dad, pick up an instrument of torture. That's a little different than pray a prayer. This is what Jesus said. You must love him in a way that makes your closest relationships seem like hate in comparison. You must be willing to suffer for his sake. You are to take all that you have and say, Lord, it's yours. How do I use this for you? My life is yours. Jesus is someone who is worth giving everything up for because he is greater than anything. His love is greater than anything. He took the wrath that you and I deserve. Do you understand that? Do you see how great a love that is? When you understand how great your sin is, then you understand how great God is. Follow him. Give him your life. You'll see a change. Now, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. We all do. But if you trust him, you'll see a change. You'll see evidence of the Spirit working in you. You'll, you'll feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you are in him. You are changed. Now go, live out of this identity. Let's pray. God, you're you so great. We confess that, that our sin is, is so great. God, we ask that you would stir up our affections for you. God, help us to see our identity in you our identity as sons, as saints, that we have been changed, we have been made new. 
Thank you for that reality that is only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. In his name we pray.